0: Raw Ag is your link to the food chain, and every episode will take you somewhere along that chain. From conception to consumption, you will hear from the cutting-edge players in Australian agriculture with industry news, unique views and presentations. We can all be better farmers, sustainable, regenerative and innovative. We can all be more informed and aware consumers. And RORAG is your next step in that direction. Brought to you by Ace Radio and Tamania Angus. I'm Kate Mead and today it is my honour to introduce you to host Tom Gubbins.
1: Today I'll be chatting to Lynn Sykes. Lynn is a recognized leader in the traditional male world of agriculture. For more than three decades, she has made significant contribution to improving skills related to communication and succession. Lynn is recognized as the pioneer of family-focused approach to succession planning centred on facilitating family meetings, clarifying the vision and goals of each family member in order to develop a shared way forward. At the height of Lynn's work, she was facilitating 100 family meetings a year in all states. Lynne was the independent chair of the environmental flow groups in the Macquarie River from its inception in 2013. She has had considerable involvement in leadership roles, communication and conflict resolution workshops and believes when groups work cooperatively and harness the strengths of these differences, great things are possible. Welcome to the RORAG podcast, Lynn. Thanks, Tom. Whereabouts are you at the moment?
0: I'm in Dubbo. In Dubbo? At
1: home. And how are things in Dubbo? You've had lots of... At uh, home. At lots of rain. Recently,
0: well, we live right on the Macquarie River, and yep. it is looking stunning today. And and um, absolutely stunning, is it?
1: Mm. Fantastic. Well, and,
0: and we've had a great season, so everything is very green and lush. And the only difficulty um, with it is that it's come with literally thousands of mice.
1: Yeah, yeah, now we're sort of getting a few in our traps at home too at the moment but mm. I don't think anything like what what's going on up with you
0: Yeah, no, we've, I mean we live in town so we're pretty fortunate But um, yeah, it's pretty horrendous for some
1: Lynn, um I'm going to tempt fate a little bit today I've always sort of um, felt that uh, not to talk about succession because um, As soon as that, we'd have some Barney in the family or something, and then uh, I'd have egg on my face. So, so I'm tempting fate a little bit by bringing you into the podcast.
0: And um, well, I'm pretty good at having egg on my face, so I might be able to help you out if that happens. (laughs) Well,
1: that's what I want to talk about: how how you manage to do some of the incredible things you do by walking into families and um, and sorting out, unpacking, you know, possibly generations of. Um, Issues that that Need to be brought out in the open and solved
0: Yeah Well I I mean I think Tom As you probably already know I came to the work Quite by accident It was not anything that I'd ever planned to do And found myself Asked to sit with a family who Had a pretty significant stash in the Sheepyards And at that time Which was in the early 90s There wasn't really anyone other than solicitors and accountants that were actually involved in the work. So uh, when I did that family meeting and it was helpful to the family, they were very vocal about it in their neighbourhood and relatively quickly really, I was being asked more and more to run family meetings for families who were struggling with the issue of succession. So, you know, my interest has always been in families, um, not not in farming. And so um, I think it was... I was just very fortunate that I was doing that, something that really no-one else was doing at the time. And it seemed to have... For some families, it was helpful. Um, I need to be pretty quick to say that um, I hear some pretty ghastly things about myself for families that have not found the process quite so helpful (laughs) quite so helpful Um, when you uh, when you hold up a mirror to a family which is basically what facilitation does um, they don't always like what they see and it's always easy to try and blame someone for what they see so yeah, it's been an interesting journey.
1: Well, we, we talked about that a little bit before when we're um, that, you know, often when we have students or something on the farm, it, it, it makes you um, question the things you do more and I suppose that's what a facilitator does a little bit to a family business.
0: Yeah, I think so. And I think from my part in that, once I started to try and train other people to do what I did and they asked really, challenging questions. why do you ask them that or why do you do that? It makes you reflect on why you do things and you, you know I know initially my answer to the students was just, oh it seemed like the right thing at the time. but in fact when I had some time to think about it, um, what you do is really a, a process that develops slowly through your own almost unconscious learning and uh, you know sometimes being asked about it helps you actually clarify why you do things.
1: So you take a family-focused approach to succession planning, yep. which means yep. you try not to leave anyone out, I suppose, does it?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it's interesting. I've been asked to speak at something, and the title of the talk that I've been asked to give is Stewardship Between the Generations, and I look, I had to look up on Google what stewardship mean. and one of the interesting things that it says is inclusiveness. And I think when I, when I first started to do the work, basically what I saw were families with very challenging family histories, um, generally their communication wasn't great. Um, most people in the family had fairly low self-awareness and not much insight into themselves or to anyone else and and very little understanding of generational differences. So it was, it's no surprise really that if you put that combination of ingredients together that it's going to be a challenge for people to work out issues that are so sensitive.
1: Yeah, so some of the role is educating As well as facilitating. So you you need to get some level of awareness in people that perhaps don't have it while you're doing it.
0: Well, I think one of the things that the family meeting does, if, if whoever the facilitator is has done a good job, is that people should feel safe to say whatever it is they need to say. And one of the things I've learnt through this process is that families... Because the stakes are so high, families are one of the least safe places to actually communicate. And so the role of the facilitator is to make it safe enough for people to be able to say what they need to say and then to ensure that everyone else in the family has no choice but to listen. So in a controlled environment, they don't have the opportunity to do what they would normally do when someone says something they don't want to hear. So our, our natural response is to either defend our own position or attack the other person. Where And both of those things, stop you actually hearing what's being said. So in a family meeting, in an ideal situation, what you do is create an opportunity, sometimes for the very first time, for people to really hear what other family members are saying, especially the, the most senior family members. They often don't get a, a chance to hear, because of their own intervention, What what the younger generations are generally thinking and feeling. So, so how, how, yeah. how, do you,
1: how do you create that safe place that must be um, developing? Well, you tell me. I, it's obviously well, I, a skill that requires quite, quite a lot of knowledge. And.
0: I think one of the things that helped me is that I came to the work from a counselling background. And so the skills that I'd learned in that counselling environment were very helpful to me. Um, I think that there's something about the way you manage yourself that tells people that it is safe to tell you things, and and I think part of that comes from experience. I know we had we were training a lawyer once in a family meeting, and he was saying, but but what if they say this or that? And I said, well, that's fine. You know, that's fine. If that's what they need to say, then that's what they need to say. And he said, I'd be terrified if anyone said that. And I think that's the skill that it comes Mm. down to, is that because I don't have to fix it, I have ultimate belief in the family's ability to sort out their own problems. Because I don't have to feel that I've got to fix it, I'm pretty happy to hear whatever they've got to say. And it,
1: and it doesn't frighten me. So so, um, taking the um, lifting the lid on the can of worms um, yes. is uh, is risky though, isn't it? I mean, I, well, I, I know, I'm just from my own experience. <laughs> yes. um, yep. You know, I know that my heart starts pounding and things if I need to say something that. You know and I might not be able to put the worms back in the can if you like so yeah um, and it causes a bit of anxiety um, uh, um.
0: that's certainly something Tom that I get asked frequently aren't you concerned that you're going to open a can of worms and I'm not concerned because I'm only the can opener <laughs> I don't create the worms And many years ago, someone asked me in conversation, aren't you worried that you'll open a can of worms? And there was a a much older lady listening to the conversation, and she led over and touched the arm of this other young woman, and she said, you need to understand, my dear, that worms left unattended grow into snakes. Perhaps perhaps the worms don't want to be in the can anyway <laughs> yeah. I've always found that very consoling When a yeah. worm appears I think, oh well, at least it's only a worm Could have been a snake <laughs> <laughs> And we've, you know All families have uh, Worms hmm. You know, either in In current generations Or in previous generations Or between the generations So the, the difficulty is that once the worms are actually wriggling on the table, if you're trying to develop a plan, you know that they're there. And so, you, you know, if if the family have the resources, they will develop a plan, including or around, or they'll deal with the worms and then plan. Um, when it's it's the stuff that you don't know about that is the most dangerous, sabotaging um tornado that can come on t- you know into a family's vision when they're trying to get this plan sorted
1: so um, as you know you've been a little bit involved in our family and we have um, we prior to you coming addressed um, succession and you came for a little bit of maintenance for a bit of an oil and grease um, <laughs> which which was very helpful um, but we've had to continue to do that all the time um and i i just thought that we would um come up with a succession plan nice naively i thought you know because obviously looking back now i can see that that it was never going to be the case
0: but um maintenance is required all the time Um, absolutely as it is with all relationships tom you know you we, in, in my family, we have my husband's been retired for some time and I'm virtually retired. And the maintenance, the maintenance that's been required for us to develop a new plan for how we're going to not kill each other moving forward <laughs> um, has taken quite a lot of energy. And, it, and I don't know why, but like you, it caught me by surprise. Yes. You know, I think every new phase requires adjustment and nips and tucks and, you know, slight alterations and, yeah, because our expectations all change.
1: So, um, Lynn, um, the status quo is control and um, often the... I just like to sort of talk about the age differences a bit and Mm -hmm. how um, the family all has different um, goals and aspirations because of their age difference and I, I don't know whether you sort of taught me this or I learnt it prior or but you know as
0: when If it was good I taught
1: you okay it was good so you did yeah, so yeah, uh, the age yeah. was at very young age or when you're just starting out in business you are very very inclined you're much more likely to take risks and yeah. um, you know and and perhaps sleep rough and yeah. um, and do those sorts of things. And as you get older and yeah. older, you tend to, um, you know, you gather the things around you you learned yeah. and work on them. And then into your retirement, later age, you tend to nest egg and pull everything together yeah. and be very very risk adverse. Um, yeah. How do how does how do you make that work in a family situation where you've got three generations in some cases of families working together and often the oldest generation is the one in charge that, um, you know, doesn't perhaps want to take risk and then there's others that do.
0: Well, I I mean, I think that's part of the underlying challenge um, of succession and there are, you know, there really aren't any simple answers. But there's no doubt that one of the things that is an enormous help is having that older generation in a position where they are secure so that that the vigor of the younger generations risk taking is actually not going to under undermine their security
1: financial security because, yeah
0: yeah or 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 yeah. it seems to me that there are two things Sec- security of tenure mm-hmm. so people need to be secure where people live is really important to them So they need to feel secure in that tenure Wherever they want that to be And secure financially I- into the future Because, you know, one of the one of my kids We've just had a week on Lord Howe And one of my kids said to me something like Oh, it's good to be able to have these great holidays and I said, so will you be able to when you're 70? <laughs> and I think when you're young you don't necessarily understand the insecurity of being older and when you're older you forget the energy, the vigour that you know that was once there when you're young. So one of the things that, not when I'm working with a family directly, but when I look back overall on the things that have helped people through this process, the older generation taking responsibility for their own financial security and their own security of tenure before they then work out what's going to happen with everyone else. Seems to me a sensible way to do things. The, the trap is that generally, as you've said, they, they have the control and, and they often think they need a lot more than they will. So they're, they're reluctant to sort of draw up those boundaries. but And I think the other thing that I've noticed, Tom, that surprised me is that a lot of people, and it even surprised me, even though I just had a small business and there was only me in it, um, people often don't realise actually what what their living costs are. I mean, that sounds like such a simple thing, to Sort out, but if you're in a business So many of your costs Are actually covered by the business So when I ask people What sort of income do they think they will need In retirement Frequently frequently people don't actually know
1: Yeah, I, I can understand $100 a week will do, sort of
0: Yeah, yeah, oh attitude. I won't <laughs> ne- Yeah, I won't, I won't need much
1: yeah, You know, no, I'll be fine yeah. Well,
0: you know, you'll be paying your own way, mate
1: <laughs> <laughs> So Um yeah because the, there's another side of this too, where you know the the um, the generations um, sometimes younger parts of the generation, younger members of the family will come back uh, a little bit for security, and um, mm. um, that that comes sometimes can be a bit of an issue too, can't it? that uh,
0: well, well, they come back for all sorts of reasons, um, some of which are not necessarily. Going to be positive for the long term um, Resilience of the business You know a lot of people it'd be, it'd be interesting to have a look now One of the things I've seen is that uh, When we have prolonged dry periods And, and they, of, they often seem To co- coincide with people having periods of ill health Particularly mental health Family members will come back to help And stay mm. And, or as you've said, they, you know, when the going gets tough, they often come home to lick their wounds and stay. You know, it's, there are all sorts of um, conflicts for each generation about being an individual and being a family member. So as a parent, you know, you want, you want to make your children secure and safe. But often as a business person, that, com- that those two roles are conflicting so, so Lynn can
1: we sort of have a little bit of a think now about the, coming out the other side and you would have seen some um, very rewarding results I would have imagined of businesses that the shackles were thrown off um, purely because they started to communicate better and understand each other's requirements, and um, so what sort of um, <laughs> effects does really success, successful succession have on family farm businesses?
0: I think one of, from my personal experience, one of the the most rewarding experiences I've had, and it was somewhere in Victoria, or sh- something to do with sheep. Um, I was speaking, and the whoever was chairing, threw the the forum open for questions. And uh, a young man stood up, and he looked vaguely familiar. But you know, when you do a lot of family meetings, everyone starts to look a bit the same. And um, he said, Lynn Sykes ran a family meeting for us." And my initial thought was, "Oh God, what did I do? You know, how did it go?" This, is, this guy's going kind to of bad bath me in front of this thousand people or whatever it was anyway he said we had a, a um, whatever it was six months or twelve months ago we had a meeting with Lynn and we nutted out a, you know a pretty good plan and unbeknownst to us my father had a terminal illness and he died you know six months later he said what that what that meeting did for us was it allowed us to grieve uncontaminated by anything to do with the business. He said it was such a wonderful gift, yeah. And I thought, not only was I relieved, but I haven't trodden on someone's toes in that particular meeting, Um, but that the privilege of being part of an opportunity to family to grieve in its purest sense, is 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 just. I think I think I'd call that a master stroke.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I understand what you mean because to have it all tidied up means that people, you know, are not concerned about um, the after effects, which is not. Well, yeah. It wouldn't be a healthy place to be.
0: Yeah, I've had plenty of the absolute opposite experience. I might add where I've worked with families before a tragedy and then been asked to come back afterwards. And it's been, the family have almost been unrecognisable and it's like someone's, you know, cut through them with a chainsaw. And
1: and obviously getting the truth out completely in, in these meetings is something that's not, it, it would be something you aim for, but very unlikely to achieve.
0: Um, Yeah, I'm always a bit uh, vague about truth because everyone's truth is truth to them. Yeah. Um, I I think one of the great things that you hope for is that families will develop an understanding of someone else's perspective and that, you know, often for the first time they will think about it from someone else's point of view, have just a bit of a stand in someone else's shoes um, the, one of the things that I Always did in family meetings Was sort of Intuitively really There's usually someone in the family That everyone talks to That downloads to Or whinges to However you like to you know phrase it And, and I'd always have a bit of a stab At working out who that was And I would ask that person in the hearing of everyone else If there is anything that they have been told That they think is important That does not come out today mm. I, need, I need them to let me know Yeah So it's sort of People get, as you can imagine Extremely uncomfortable Because they almost feel as though They're ratting on someone But you can't deal with issues that don't get disclosed. So that's one of the reasons why. In there are lots of people who do family meetings, or there are some people who do family meetings in a very different way to me. And a lot of people would interview people beforehand. But my concern always was that I would then become the holder of the secret, and. And I wouldn't know what to do with it if I thought it was going to impact on the outcome. So I had a reasonable level of confidence that I would create an environment that was safe enough for people actually to be able to tell to, to tell the story how it is for them. Um, and I think that was... Because of my personality, which is as it is, you know, the the process that I developed by accident really was to suit me because, I, you know, the most important thing we can all be is ourselves, And so I knew that I'm no good at keeping secrets under my hat. So I was better to deal with everything at the same time, you? which that? is often very explosive.
1: You also have a lot of um, experience in dealing with the truth and having it completely exposed. I mean, because to not say anything at all is actually not the truth. And um, you're you're so good at, you know, (laughs) you've obviously had a lot of practice at it and you've been rewarded by fulfilling that, um, that it comes easier to you. It's very difficult um, in a situation in a family where for generations, things have been taught to them to not be said, you know. And,
0: yeah, um, yeah. I, I don't have any ulterior motives either. I mean, that no. obviously...
1: Well, that your ulterior motive helps. is for it to be successful.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: That has yep. to be important to you because your business is founded
0: but, on Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I read, a good way into the work that I was doing, was, was a book called Crucial Conversations, and it said that there are... Three components to a, to a crucial conversation. Uh, the first is that there's emotion involved. And the second is that the stakes are high. Mm. And the third thing is that opinions differ. So probably one of the, the constants for me, it was working with families where people were encouraged not to be emotional. Not to express their yep. fears, their sadness, or their anger. And and I do okay with all of that, so that helps make it safe for other people, I think. The other thing is that I have pretty strong opinions, but I also don't have an expectation necessarily for other people to share those opinions. And I've been taught to respect opinions that are different to mine. Now. Both of those things are often missing in families. Um, often everyone's expected to have the same opinions and to not express their, their feelings. You know, generations yeah. of people have this, are expected to have the same opinions about politics as you would know about breeds of animals, about how you farm, all of those things. And so when when there's a difference of opinion, if it's not managed well, that does not encourage people to express their opinions about anything, particularly about succession. Yes. So it's okay. about, it's almost about creating a culture in your family, and I think this is what you were saying about ongoing maintenance. If, if families want to do succession with relative ease, then there needs to be a culture of respecting other people's opinions and respecting other people's feelings and encouraging them to be expressed from a really early age, probably.
1: I think you need to come back again, Lynn. But, um...
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, one of the interesting things for me, Tom, is as I've, I'll be 70 this year, I have noticed a distinct difference in the way my children treat me as I've got older. Now, I don't think I'm any different, but they are treating me differently and maybe I need to think about how I'm treating them because if they're treating me differently and I'm treating them the same, we're destined for a head-on. So, I mean, it's the lived experience of... Of everyone is going to influence how they behave in every situation, and that's one of the reasons why I actually don't run family meetings anymore, because I'm too old to readily accept the the energy and the vigour of the views of the youth that I've seen get them into trouble before.
1: Yeah, righto. Okay, so you don't bridge the gap as well as you used to, perhaps.
0: No, I don't. I I now see older women who've been desperate to get their family to do succession and haven't had a cooperative husband. He's died and she's left to sort it out. And those women are very angry. And they think, and I agree with them, they think it's unfair for them to have been left... In a situation to sort out something That needed to be done 20 or 30 years ago
1: Lynn, I've got a bit of a theory And I brought it up with um, Terry McCosker In an earlier podcast about farmers um, Having so many uncontrollable Forces around them Um, Do do you think this makes a difference In how conservative farmers are?
0: Well, I've got a bit of a theory Yeah, throw it (laughs) out. That when (laughs) That when there are so many things in your life that you do not have any control over, you you hold very firm the control you do have.
1: Yeah. Well, that, that's sort of what I was saying, but not as well.
0: So I think <laughs> I, I I think I think you and I agree <laughs> on the underlying principle that you know if I can't control. All the things that are going to influence my business by god i'm going to control the people that are in it
1: yeah i agree with that um mm. it's it's a cha- it's a challenging and and very emotional and um difficult topic to raise in family businesses and um we've done it and, and as i said before we have to continue to do it to maintain it and um thank you for your help in that lynn you're the independent chair of um, environmental flow group in the macquarie river How's the not anymore oh, well, <laughs> no. Not anymore? Oh, not, not anymore Well, that's no, all right So I so, can
0: reflect very honestly about that now
1: Good, well that's even better, isn't it? You have a right to whinge because you're involved <laughs> how's, um, how's the Macquarie River?
0: Well, it looks fabulous today Yeah <laughs> But it doesn't always So like, uh, like lots of families uh, There's a couple of pretty clear camps in the uh, In the management of water in rivers, and they have even more differences than two generations in a succession Yeah. Uh, but there, there's lots of similarities actually there surprisingly um, yeah there 's a lot of people wanting a limited resource which um, is true for succession often um, I think there are the one of the things I have observed is that the more (laughs) I'm wondering who's going to listen to this what I'm about to say Um, (laughs) um, the more aggressive the industry the more aggressive the people that are attracted to it Right So I've chaired regulated rivers unregulated rivers and groundwater, and so the more aggressive types of agriculture, where, as a general rule, the risks are higher, tend to attract people who like that life. Which in a in a meeting,
1: that's probably um, the that same said with all of life, really, isn't it? Not
0: just yeah, the and in and in in families, and I think the reason that there were some industries in particular that were not excited about me chairing those committees is that they were used to having more than their share of everything including the airspace at meetings so there were there's there's a lot of bullies in the water business
1: yep yeah. and i presume that are they men
0: <laughs> um what I did observe on those committees is that, which is interesting what's happening in Parliament at the moment, <laughs> they, the committee that was the most functional was the one that had equal representation from gender.
1: Why would that be?
0: Well, I think I found it was interesting. I was watching something on the news last night. I think when you get to that 50... This is, I'm quoting some um, journalist or politician now. When you get, apparently, when you get to that... 50 50 representation of men and women. There is a change in the culture.
1: Yeah, so there's a bit of a a, a, a behavioural change or a respect, better respect in the room.
0: Well, I think more, just a bit more, a bit more cooperative. Okay. I mean, I can tell you one of those committees was pretty much all men, and I was the chair, and it would probably be the loneliest job I've ever had. Yeah. Would because it be the it was, same
1: the other way around if you are a male um, chairing a – probably not?
0: Well, it's interesting because Lucy said to me, you know, think about the um, – uh, what were they, the master strokes and the mistakes – and I think one of the master strokes we'll, we that can, I we could
1: get onto those now, if you like, we'll we'll just right. morph into it. Um, all right. So we we we'll, we'll, let's let's do that. So um, we usually would. Uh, yeah, well, go let's on. go for master strokes first.
0: Well, I mean, your question was, would it have been different if they'd been all women? And I'm not so sure about that. But one of my master strokes, I think was that I made the decision very early in the piece that my skill set was fairly narrow and I wasn't going to try and broaden it. There were lots of allied agricultural workers there that in, in the market that I saw were trying to be all things to all people. So I decided this this is the bit that I'm going to do and which meant that I could never run family meetings on my own. I was never going to be good with numbers and so I made the decision that I'd rather get better at what I was already good at than in fact try and get better at something I was lousy at, which meant that I had to work with someone else. So I spent a period of time working with the family's accountant. That presented a whole lot of challenges and I eventually decided that was too hard, I wasn't going to do that anymore either. But the masterstroke for me was that I worked with probably three different people who actually had an underlying respect for the skills that I had and they were strong where I was weak. And they were fantastic partnerships. When I reflected on it the other day, they were all women.
1: So you both mutually know, I mean... um You both mutually know what to hand each other when jobs come in and things, you know. So, and
0: well, when when something comes in to me, I ask, I say, you know, you'll be paying for two of us, um, and then I ask them would they do the work with me. So Hmm. I wasn't actually in any sort of legal structure with any of them. Is that? Yep. So
1: that that's some, that's um, your masterpiece is to be able to find people that, comp, that sort of uh, complement your skills and well, yeah well, a bit more than that
0: and and I think work with them and I think the other part of that was that I have an ethos that I trust people until they give me reason not to yeah and I Same think a lot I. of people <laughs> uh, I think there are a lot of people who are the reverse Yeah. You know, I won't trust until I'm given reason to trust. So my career has actually been directed pretty much by other people. Someone saying, you should share this, Lynn. I'm saying, oh, okay. So it was, you know, it was a woman who said to me, you need to train people to do what you're doing. And I said, oh, okay. And we did that together. It was a rural counsellor who said, I need you to come with me and do a meeting. I can't handle the emotion. I said, oh, OK. Now, they those people were all women. I don't know whether part of it, uh, Tom, is that they're... I don't know. It's always it's always a risk for people to say that, you you know, you're a feminist or... Not that I'd be unhappy about that, but, but you don't like men. But I think that women... You can, you can be a feminist and things. like
1: men. Yeah. yeah that's, <laughs> well, one, I, think, I wonder nowadays, uh, but <laughs> I shouldn't say that.
0: Thank God I do. Having having a husband and five <laughs> sons, I'd be stuffed if I didn't. Yeah. But I think it's a little easier for women to say, I can't do this bit. Yeah. Uh, or that's too hard for me.
1: The, I mean, we do run a risk in society at the moment of not allowing the things that genders are particularly good at doing them because of, you know, because of being completely equal, it worries me a little bit. that I think women mm. are much more emotionally intelligent than men, usually. And, um, yeah. and and men have skills in other areas. They're probably a little bit more ruthless yeah. and a bit more...
0: Uh, yeah, I think you can treat people as an equal without necessarily... Always having to do equal tasks.
1: I totally agree. Yeah, we're getting through our time, so let's go right to on. the. <laughs> um, I'm enjoying <laughs> it. If you, um, um, let's. <laughs> I just got to. Do you want to go of, to mistakes? Go to mistakes, <laughs> and um, and then we'll end up, hit, finish off with your mentors. And I have got one final question.
0: Righto. Um, my main mistake was not understanding about money and how to charge, and and not knowing how much to charge and people telling me how much I should charge and me not being comfortable with it. And eventually coming to a point where I said to people, my fee is between this and this and you make a decision so that at least they had some say in the choice. The mistake was not doing that earlier. Um, I think the other mistake was not expecting to be blamed when things went badly for families, be- right? Because yes. of the fam, because of you know, when they held up the mirror and they didn't like what they saw, they That the was mirror. my fault. They blamed yeah. the mirror. Yeah. yeah. Um, and as a as a person, that's challenging.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no one uh, that, likes that to that be would, blamed. That would be tra- that would be difficult, but also, um, you know, not correct. Obviously, you know... Um,
0: yeah, that doesn't stop it hurting, of course. No, of course, yeah. Mm. Um Yeah, that was the mistake, probably. Right, eh? And um, mentors? Well, I found that really tricky when I started thinking about it, because when I started doing the work, there wasn't anyone else.
1: It doesn't need to be someone who you sort of said, well, yeah. would you be my mentor? <laughs> it could be just someone
0: you... I think... <laughs> I think, and this is, and again, at the risk of offending, one of the things I was very clear about is that I didn't want to operate in the way that I saw most consultants operate, which was thinking they had to know everything and being all things.
1: So in terms of
0: my work, it was almost a reverse mentor, like I don't want to be like that. Yeah. So that that eliminated, uh, you know, a lot of choices. Really, um, I think probably the the people that have always kept me sane uh, are the people that I've gone to for counsel, which is you know started out when I was a counsellor and we had to have a mm-hmm. counsellor as a supervisor, and I've continued that to this day when I'm when I'm not travelling well or there's, I don't understand how I'm feeling about something or how I'm reacting to something, I'm very quick to get professional help. And I've been very fortunate in the people that have crossed my path.
1: Well, thanks Shep. thanks for sharing that because I think, you know, um, for people to get professional help in all sorts of facets in life, including emotional issues that you can't solve is really really sensible Mm. and to hear such an expert as yourself actually still getting um, advice (laughs) in that area is really good to know
0: well one of my sons i said to him i think you need to have a bit of counseling mate anyway off he went me he he rang me to talk it through and i said oh well batten down the hatches you've probably only got 30 years of that ahead of you
1: (laughs) then i suppose uh final question really is what should families do now? What I mean, where do they go? What do they do if they have an issue? Or yeah. well, yeah. it's not about having an issue. Um, they all we a family businesses need this maintenance. Where do they get it from?
0: Yeah, I, I think they need to be realistic. First of all, um, you know, is does this is this business going to have the potential? for succession but but I think it's so easy to look back now and be wise in hindsight but I mean I'm pretty sure you've heard me say before that the key component to having a good succession is having a functional family and I hear a lot now about saying you need to start the conversation you know people need to start the conversation but the conversation is High stakes, emotional Differing opinions If the family's Not functional and you launch Into those conversations My belief is It's unlikely to have a great outcome
1: Even, so, if, even if the family members Know that or, uh, Are willing to do it Regardless of that because they know Succession's the best way
0: I think they're willing uh, I think people Are willing to have a crack And I say to, especially to Daughters-in-law who call me and are unhappy I say look <laughs> trigger, it, trigger it, you know yeah. You're going to be blamed whatever happens So you might as well get in there And get it over and done with now um, I think even though families Say they know it needs to happen They underestimate the pain And the damage that it potentially Can cause So I guess what the families need to do, get your family as functional as you can before you actually tackle something as hard as succession.
1: Lyn, thank you very much for um, being on the Rawag podcast today. You've um, obviously, you know, had an enormous effect on hundreds and hundreds of Australian agricultural farms over the years, and um, it, not always good. Not always good, but you know you've done your bit in um, improving the lives of people. So thank you very much, Lyn.
0: My absolute pleasure. If you're enjoying the RORAG podcast, make sure you rate and review on your favorite podcast app.